0: Hey there, sports fan, welcome to the DraftSite Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts, brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full-round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show.
1: Hello everybody, and welcome to DraftSite's 14th podcast edition. This is the first one post-NFL season, and you know what that means, DJ. It's now draft season, right?
0: 89 days to go. <laughs>
1: 89 days to go. For us, it's 365, so there's really never a countdown, but uh, 89 days to go for most people, and I hope your attention's now turned to the draft. But before we go on to the draft, we're going to talk a little Super Bowl. DJ, what a game, right?
0: Uh, it was one for the ages, had just about everything. I don't think I've ever seen two to three successive plays where. Feelings go up, down, up, down. It was just all over the place. That catch that we saw by curse, which now is almost an afterthought, which was one of the the better catches we've ever seen. And then I'm scratching my head as to why Bill Belichick is not taking a timeout, and it actually ends up playing into uh, their favor. And I really think if a timeout is taken, Seattle probably rethinks that play, runs the ball, and doesn't throw the interception, which has now been played ad nauseum. And, again, we always make the case, why do you spend so much time, DJ, on small school prospects and people that are, you know, nowhere to be found? Well, when you have undrafted rookies from West Alabama playing in the Super Bowl and making possibly the biggest play of the year, that's why. I
1: agree. And we say that every year. It's the teams that draft well. It's the teams that find those players in the late rounds and the free agency after the draft that do well towards the end of the year. Because in the NFL, there are going to be injuries. And we saw with the Patriots, they lost, they, they lost perhaps their best defensive player in Gerard Mayo, and they were able to pick it up because they had guys like Jamie Collins that they drafted and, um, you know, other free agents that they were able to mold into their system. And year after year, it's not, it's not the superstars that win the Super Bowl for these teams. It's the late round picks, it's the afterthoughts who are winning the big games for these teams, and we saw with Seattle last year, we saw with the Giants. It's, it's the same story every year.
0: Absolutely, and you go and you look at, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Uh, he's now got uh, four Super Bowl wins and joins uh, only two other quarterbacks that have done so, and two of those three were not first round picks. Talking about Joe Montana was a third round selection, Tom Brady in the sixth round. So again. It's not just who is that top pick. You you got to be consistent. You got to be, uh, you just got to be on top of your game throughout the entire draft. And of course, I, I always like pointing out Terry Bradshaw, the only, he was actually, uh, you think about what happens there. The only time that the top draft pick was decided by a coin flip. If the Steelers lose that coin flip, uh, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw's a bear. Bears ended up losing that coin toss in 1970 and trading the pick to the Packers. So, uh, <laughs> It came down to a coin flip, When you think about that dynasty, how uh, with the Steelers, uh, it might not have been four Super Bowls, any Super Bowls, how how many do they actually win if the Steelers do not win that coin toss? Very, very interesting question and one I like to ponder. And DJ, be honest with us.
1: Did you have Malcolm Butler on your radar last year?
0: Uh, Knew who he was, but no, he was not in my top ten as far as uh, small school prospects at the position. He was someone I knew about, someone I watched. You know, there were some good things there, but a lot of inconsistency. Really, a player who uh, the knock on him was really just lack of physicality and play recognition. So, obviously, uh, if, if you're not being a, a physical in the secondary, it's something that's not going to fly in New England. So, obviously, they saw something they liked. They worked with that, and you know that was a very physical play that he made. It wasn't an awful throw. Maybe could have been a little bit lower, but. Uh, that, that was really just kind of jumping around, and making a play. No one's really coming down on Russell Wilson. It's more of a play, and the you know the play call itself that has uh, undergone so much scrutiny.
1: Well, let's talk about another guy who, uh, Chris Matthews. What was your take on him coming into the draft in 2011? Do you
0: remember? Oh, uh, with, with with Matthews, it was always hands, a uh, player from Kentucky, and, and we're talking about a guy who actually refined his game. Up in the CFL, he spent his first year in camp with the Browns. Didn't really make it. Uh, spent some time on the practice squad. Uh, I believe it was two seasons. He was with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So we, we've seen that before, where some NFL players or, or wide receivers have kind of honed their craft and kind of come back down. As a matter of fact, the guy who's done really well the last couple of years is Deron Carter, the uh, son of uh, Chris mm-hmm. Carter, who played at Ohio State. Oh yeah, and it looks like uh, he's he's. Uh, I think got a lot of interest, or I think it's Indianapolis, I believe, is the team that is actually either close to signing him or wants to sign him. So um, we've seen a couple of instances where we've seen some some Canadian players um, actually come back down after spending some time in college going up there to refine their game in what's usually a more wide-open system. So for wide receivers, it's a little more friendly and come back here. And one other thing to point out about uh, Butler that uh, doesn't get a lot of recognition a lot of people don't realize that after that catch was made last night by curse, you know, he's getting up and going into the end zone. So not only is Butler, the man who made the interception, but he's ultimately the man who pushes him out of bounds. So it was the play recognition as well. So you can say that he really made two very, very good plays at the end of that game. Actually, and if you watch
1: him, uh, if you watch him that whole second half, there were, there were a few other plays that he made. Uh, he, he broke up a, a pass early on at one point. I mean, this even before that play, I thought he was having, you know, a breakout game for himself. It just wasn't being noticed by the announcers. But uh, he was there. He was getting in on a lot of things. And it's really amazing. That's what, that's what makes the NFL so great, and that's what makes the draft so interesting is that, you know, um, you can do research for an entire four years, five years, from, from when a guy leaves high school all the way through his college career and then into the NFL and, you know, get every analyst in the book, Um, and make him a first-round pick. And there's a guy from a small
0: school who just might beat them all. And if Uh, uh, Butler doesn't make that play and the game-winning touchdown pass is caught, it's caught by Ricardo Lockett, and where did he go to school? Uh, That would be Fort Valley State. But we're talking about another small school player and, and someone who's contributed, who's been really, really valuable on special teams, one of the best gunners that we've seen in the NFL, and has contributed in the passing game as well. But another, again, Small school player goes undrafted, and uh, as has made his mark in Seattle. Well, that was actually a surprise that Lockett didn't get drafted. I mean, he was you know he was a small school guy, but he was
1: one of the better small school, school prospects um, from an NFL draft perspective. And I thought there was a good chance he was going to go in the early to later rounds, but I didn't think he would actually go undrafted. Um, for people that didn't. Really know these prospects, and yeah, you might not have heard of them. But I think I'm pretty sure he had a good combine. He had good size. I'm um, looking up right now. He had a four point three four four three four in the forty yard dash, and then he was uh, he was pretty impressive in that pre-draft process. So I, w- I was actually surprised that he was undrafted last year.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, he it's good to see him com- contributing in the passing game, but uh, on special teams, a lot of times when you're you can be a star at the college level, but if you're not um, adept at playing special teams, open to making the, the change or have done that at the, at the college level, you better learn quick because that's how a lot of these these players first get their foot in the door and kind of uh, rise up from there. So, uh, And he's really, again, one of the better gunners that we've seen in the NFL the last couple of years. He's made a couple of very, very big plays, and is, it's been very consistent on with his special team play.
1: You know, it's funny though, if, if you actually look at uh, Seattle's draft last year, and you know, we, we talk about how great of a job they do. I mean, after every draft, I think dating back to the James Carpenter pick thing that was a little early in the year before, I loved Russell Coon. So I, I thought it took a lot of guts for Pete Carroll to take Earl Thomas over Taylor Mays, and, and that really worked out. That worked out great. Um, Cam Chancellor, I thought, was underrated in that draft. I mean, that 2010 draft, Really did numbers for them. Walter Thurman had played well for them, but uh, there were just as many guys, you know, in the, in the following years who, who didn't pan out. I mean, um, John Moffitt you know, been, hasn't, didn't really do much. Uh, Robert Turbin is kind of his first time really getting some burn. Jay Howard didn't do anything. Um, you know, 2013 draft. Jordan Hill hasn't made much of a, an impact, but I think. The important thing about Seattle is that it's not it's not just they hit it on the late rounds, they miss on the early. It's they acquire a lot of draft picks. If you look at two thousand and eleven, they had two fourth rounds, two fifth rounds, and two seventh round draft picks. And you know what those draft picks were? Well, one the one of the fourth rounds was K J Wright, huge impact. The other one was Chris Durham. They missed Fifth round. Oh. One of them was Richard Sherman. The other one was Mark Legree. Hit and miss. Seventh round, Darius Levingston. The other seventh round, Malcolm Smith. So it's about this is a team that believes you get enough kicks. It's not necessarily about getting every single one right, but it's about hitting on hitting on a few to compensate for the ones that you're inevitably inevitably gonna miss. Two thousand thirteen as well, you we were there. Thorald Simon actually had a big play. Uh, he was drafted. He was one of three fifth-round picks. Seeing Michael, I mean, they draft more for players. So that when it comes to this time of year, that they have depth. Even if a guy hasn't played yet, even if a guy hasn't been, made a big impact and has been sitting on the bench for a year, by the time their number is called, you know they're ready to go. Key to Seattle. So
0: couldn't agree more.
1: I think if you look at last year's draft, I mean, it's it's this is the true. Reason why it's too early to tell because if you look at last year's draft, they had Paul Richardson, Justin Britt, Cassius Marsh, Kevin Norwood, Kevin Pierre Lewis, Jimmy Staten, Garrett Scott, Eric Pinkins, Kiro Small. Right? If you look at that list and say, well, Justin Britt is really the only one who's actually done anything so far. Paul Richardson got hurt, and everyone else hasn't hasn't made an impact at all. I mean, am I missing anything, DJ? Has any, have any of those guys done anything for the Seattle team yet?
0: Not very, uh, not really. Uh, Richardson was a guy that was looked at to have a bigger role after the whole uh, Percy Harvin debacle. He looked like uh, his role was going to increase and it had been. Um, he just looked to really been trying to nail down being a more of a precise route runner. I mean, he put up some some great numbers and showed a lot of speed and, really had what you were looking for at Colorado, but the only real knock on him was a lot of those productive yards came when, you know, Colorado was was, was usually down by about 20 to 30 points in most of those games and, and teams were kind of playing a little, a little bit softer and he was a guy that would kind of make a big play for that offense. So there were some questions about how could he perform at a higher level and when, you know, his team wasn't behind so often and, and how he was going to adapt. But, but he was he was showing some signs it was taking a little bit longer, I think, than some of the fans wanted to see, but there was some progress there. So we hope that uh, that injury is not going to be too, too serious. It was a, a rather serious injury, but hopefully it doesn't hamper him for next season. Exactly.
1: And, and, but, again, you know, this is, this is where Seattle um, does great in the draft, is that they don't need the guys right away. So, you know, Paul Richardson, I'll get him next year. Kevin Norwood, I don't even know if he's still on the roster but they didn't need him this year. Chris Harper from last year, I, I think he ended up going to San Francisco at one point. Um, but if you judge the 2015 draft from Seattle, you'd say they completely fell on their fate. They got one impact player last year, but it just, they proved it's way too early because sometimes guys don't make an impact for a while. I mean, Chris Matthews was the pick in 2011 and uh, I think next year we'll start to see some of these guys start to make an impact like, C.S. Marsh, who I was a big fan of. Um, so it, it's really about who sticks around, who's willing to put in the work, and, uh, you know, who can fit into our system the most. Now, if we look at New England's draft, I mean, let's look at their last few drafts, and I'd like to see, you know, what they what did they do in the last five years of drafting that helped them win the championship yesterday,
0: D.J.? as far as what they've done is underwent a lot of scrutiny after the year of perfection or what was close to perfection losing to the giants in the Super Bowl and the juggernaut that we saw in offense that that really the, the defense didn't quite match up and then uh, when when they were playing well defensively you kind of had the old guard there you had the Teddy Bruskies, the Mike Vrabel's people who were who were really aging and they were kind of looking for the the changing of the guard and, and they've done that now with uh getting Mayo in there um, Vince Wilfork's another guy who is, you know, he's getting older, but but, but he's a guy who's kind of played um, better as the years have, have went on, and we got to wonder how long he's going to be in in New England, and maybe they're looking for the the answer there. It just looks like they've uh, – Jamie Collins, as you mentioned, I think playing that that athletic linebacker and that all-important uh, – we saw him spying on uh, Russell Wilson a bit, much like we saw Clay Matthews do, and I think that's going to be the blueprint for a lot of teams. They've They've seen – how to, uh, I think, limit limit his mobility, and it's an aspect of the game. I don't think you're ever going to totally erase. But we've seen some teams now uh, with with different coverages and different looks where they've kind of moved that one kind of spy around the field to kind of to try and confuse Russell Wilson and and keep him in the pocket. So I think they've. It's really been more about just getting younger and just getting more athletic because New England was filled with players that uh, were were very good at what they could do but they were getting older. They, they weren't those, uh, those great athletes. And uh, becoming a little more interchangeable in the secondary is something that they seem to have concentrated on in the last few years.
1: Right, and I think a lot of the, the players that they drafted, I mean, there were, uh, there were a lot of people who looked to the following year and said, all right, these guys are bust. You know, they're not going to make it. Um, I mean, after 2012, Chandler Jones didn't really have the impact that you'd know, hoped high Hightower was doing pretty well, um, but he was no sure thing. You know, they drafted Jamie Collins the following year. But, you know, you give you give a player a few years, you give them two years in the system, and you take away some of those veterans and, and put some of the, more of the onus on them, and you can actually see their true impact. And I think that's what we're seeing with New England. I mean, if you look at New England's roster, if you look at their starting roster, and I was saying this, this is how amazing the organization is. I can honestly say that I think this was their worst roster on paper in the last 10 years, yet they played probably the best as a team out of any of those teams. And I think, um, you know, I mean, even look at Tom Brady. This was probably, you know, this was maybe his worst year. He's at his oldest. And Will Fork is getting older. They lost Gerard Mayo, who is, you know, arguably their best defensive player. I mean, on paper, this, this is perhaps their worst roster and they won the championship. And I think that goes to show you that it's, it's way more, you know, than just a few star players. I mean, sure, if they, if they changed Tom Brady with Jay Cutler, they might not have won. But I think it's bigger than that. I mean, it's, it's an organization thing that people buy into and really come together for, you know, for the common,
0: uh, for a common goal. Yeah, and it's the development of those other players. You had uh, Randy Moss and his effectiveness there, and then they were kind of without that big play-wide receiver. Moore fell onto the shoulders of Wes Welker, and then they, they bring in the Julian Edelmans and the Danny Amendolas. And, uh, obviously, what they went through a tight end with the Aaron Hernandez situation and with Rob Gronkowski in a couple seasons where they were dealing with injury there, and they, they've really had to scramble and, and kind of uh, get some other targets there. Uh, we're talking about the... Not only that, Danny Woodhead was a very good uh, receiver for them out of the backfield. It was going into last season. I think it was five of their top six pass receivers from the year before were either injured, incarcerated, or no longer with the team. So it was, right. it's constant turnover. So uh, we did see Tom Brady. What kind of looked like uh, he was losing his cool, or maybe not not having the patience. It was just something that he wasn't used to dealing with some of those Patriot teams of the past, but. They find a way to make it work. And, uh, you know, they are in a, a little bit of a weaker division, but they still show that they can play with the big boys when they have those interconference games or games against the other AFC powerhouses. They always show well. So, looking at these two teams, I mean, we've evaluated
1: teams as they got eliminated and said, well, you know, what could they do in the draft that could help them to win that game? And so we look, let's look at Seattle real quick. I mean, what could Seattle do in next year's draft to? Besides you know maybe run the ball on the last play, but what what could they do differently in the draft next year that could take them to the next level that 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 if they had that player this year, it would have made a difference enough that they that they might have won
0: I think they they need a little more help along the offensive line. I think uh Justin Britt was a player who contributed this year, but I think and even admittedly they will say they gave him more responsibility than what they had intended for this season. And uh, some of that was due to injury, some of that due to ineffectiveness of some other players. I think you saw the difference in the running game when you have a, an all-pro center like Max Unger and what he was able to do. Uh, and Unfortunately, they, they didn't perform quite as well. And, and it wasn't all just Max Unger. It was just moving players around that line and having people compensate for them not really having another, quote, true center behind him. I think there were four different players that they actually played at center at some point, um, kind of with a, kind of like makeshift. And, and again, that would people bringing in from the guard position and someone else would slide over and it, it just seemed to cause a lot of disruption. So I think maybe just getting a little bit stronger in the interior of that offensive line, again, it's not the, it's not the great, sexy, attractive pick that a lot of teams or, or fans out there are going to look for like, yeah, we got us a guard from Wisconsin, but, uh, it's something that, you know, you know, being able to run the ball effectively, uh, especially later, later in the playoffs, later when it gets cold and weather becomes more of a factor, uh, you don't want to just rely on the passing game. So uh, to me that, that's, that's going to be very important. Of course, Marshawn Lynch and his contract situation, is he going to get this monster extension that we had heard about? There's also whispers about maybe that's, you know, the conspiracy theorists. I, I wanted to see how long it was going to take. But the big conspiracy thing now is they didn't want to give Marshawn Lynch the ball because a second touchdown would mean that Marshawn Lynch was more than likely going to be the MVP, and it was going to cost even more to have him uh, actually re-sign in Seattle. So, uh, yeah, which, no, that's it's kind of what's... ludicrous. But uh, you know, it's already started. There's, there's always conspiracy. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's <laughs> knock that one out of the water now. I mean, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's just a bunk. Yeah, I don't I don't think the coaches are uh, making the decisions based on <laughs> who's gonna get the extra bonus or if it's gonna add some more money next year. I, I think I think if you know, if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm, I'm actually comfortable next year going in with um Robert Turbin and and Christine Michael, if they're my running backs. I mean, you know, those guys are beastly too. They're they're around the same size and I think uh, after sitting there learning from Marshawn Lynch, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them kind of takes over that role and and really um, plays similar. And actually, if they split the carries, it will be even more effective because they won't feel the pounding as much on their body. Seattle was the one, I think, that drafted Justin Forsett. I don't know if they drafted him or picked him up, but uh, imagine they saw Justin Forsett, and what a change of pace back. He compliment he would have been to Marshawn Lynch, right?
0: Yeah, actually uh, led the NFL in uh, yards per carry this past season, so um, you know really did a big favor for the Ravens as it looked like Bernard Pierce was the person being groomed as being the feature back there once the whole Ray Rice situation played out. But Justin Forsett had uh, definitely a, a career season, and, and hopefully there's a little more for him there. Struggled a little bit more down the stretch, um, a couple of uh, some fumble issues, but. Even for a smaller guy, he always has those legs moving. I'm always very impressed with how hard it is to kind of bring him down. And, of course, that's kind of what has made Marshawn Lynch so effective, the yards after contact and the fact that he just never seems to go down. Or if he is, he's dragging a, a defender an extra two to three yards on the way to doing so. Yeah, that probably would be a pretty good change of pace back end, And, and uh, you know, someone who can catch the ball out of the backfield, a lot of people forget – Coming out of college, Marshawn Lynch was, I think, maybe even more dangerous as a receiver than he was a runner. Uh, I yeah. think sometimes that gets lost with just how um, effective he is, just being a bruiser and pounding the ball. But we saw it that uh, that that last drive really started with that 31-yard pass, uh, and, and you know he's always able to just be a little bit deceptive, slip out of the backfield, and and make a big play. So I think that's something that. Seattle's got to look at, too, not just an effective runner, but someone who can catch the ball out of backfield.
1: Uh, let's, let's talk about New England real quick. What do they have to do to get back to this game and win it next year
0: in, in this upcoming draft? Well, we talked about Vince Wilfork, and, you know, he is definitely getting older, and I think that is the one the one area where maybe, you know, they've got some players they can kind of plug in there for the short term, but maybe someone they can look at as the long-term replacement. Now They don't necessarily have to be that. Budding star like an all-pro player, but just someone who's going to take up a lot of space. Maybe open up open up some lanes for lines for some of the linebackers. Uh, Rob Ninkovich is something that someone that we don't talk about a lot either. Who seems to make a lot of uh, plays as maybe some uh, some of the teammates around him kind of take some pressure away, and he seems to be the benefactor in a lot of those situations. One of the better linebackers uh, in the AFC and, and the NFL over the last few years. A lot of sacks to his credit but I, I think maybe getting another big defensive tackle and, you know, don't be surprised if that's the area where new England goes first. Uh, I, w- I would say that, uh, Jordan Phillips, who I'm not as high on, but, uh, is that a red shirt sophomore who declared from Oklahoma, he he's a player that could kind of fit in that system. Uh, Carl Davis, who played so well at the senior bowl uh, out of Iowa, maybe just a, a big body like that, that, uh, offer some athleticism that could be the heir apparent of Will Fork in a couple of years, Uh, could be an area they start, maybe even on the interior line as well. Uh, Just someone who New England's another team that likes to juggle their offensive linemen and and likes to have linemen that can play more than one position. So a player like a a Cameron Irving out of Florida State that started at three different positions along the line this year for Florida State would be uh, someone I think that could could come in and fit, fit right away. And you know, with some some, this is a good running back draft. Uh, I think it's one of the deeper running back drafts we've had in the last few years. So maybe New England. You know, I think it's going to come down to Stephen Ridley was really going to be looked at as as being the, the workhorse here, the guy that we thought was going to get the, the blunt of the the blunt of the carries. Pardon my pun. <laughs> but uh, you know, what, what do they do with Legarrette Blunt there? Does Stephen Ridley come back from that knee injury? Maybe. You know. Don't put it past New England. Actually go out and maybe draft a running back in maybe the middle rounds, somewhere like rounds three, four, five. Bring in maybe a David Johnson from Northern Iowa. Uh, Maybe a Mike Davis from South Carolina could could be a fit here. Um, I think there's a a David Cobb from Minnesota. Someone like that I think could kind of fit the mold. And, you know, New England always seems to have that one guy on their roster that can come in. Gene Vereen, big, big impact uh, catching the ball. Uh, last night, uh, another good cow running back, uh, much like Marshawn Lynch. So I think mm-hmm. maybe at, at those positions, maybe even another an, another tight end because, uh, you know, Gronkowski has shown that, yes, he was healthy this season, but that's kind of unfortunately for him and the team that has been uh, in the minority over the last – maybe maybe getting, getting someone else to kind of learn under him and uh, eventually they can get comfortable – to have another tight end that's very reliable or even step up if the uh, unfortunate injury situation were to happen to Ron Gronkowski once again.
1: Yeah, I think, you know,
0: with Tom Brady at
1: 37 years old, if you really want to extend his career, you have to target. They have a guy, Brian Times, who's 6'3 on their roster. Brian LaFell, obviously, was a big signing for them. He did well in spurts. He's a little inconsistent. I don't know if Tom Brady ever really built a true rapport with him. But I look at this roster and I and I say, you know, I, I said this is this one of the worst rosters on paper that they've had going into a game. But part of the reason why I said that was because I think it's far better next year if you keep it the same than it is this year already. I mean, besides, you know, it, it depends. Uh, besides Daryl Revis and whether or not you keep or not. But I just think that the, the, the development that some of the young guys have gotten this year and the types of guys who were injured this year who are going to be coming back next year and potentially make a big impact, I mean, that will change everything. I mean, you think about it. Um, Dominique Easley, he, he was their first-round pick last year, defensive tackle, You know, 6'2", probably close to 300 pounds. I mean, that's a guy on the defensive line that, um, after a year or two, he's, he's really going to be able to make a huge impact. Uh, they have some other guys who made an impact the year before. Alfonso Denard, at uh, cornerback. Aaron Dobson, who is a 6'3 wide receiver. Uh, he did really well in the spurts. You put him out there. That's another huge target. Michael Buchanan is another guy I like for the defensive line. He's big, 6'6 out of Illinois. Um, and then, you know, just looking at their roster, I think there's uh, – we talked about Cameron Irving, but how about Cameron Fleming from Stanford? give him a little more time. I mean he was a junior, well he was technically an underclassman going into this draft and uh I thought if he came out this year he could have been a first round pick. So you give a guy like that a little more time, you get Brian Stork a little healthy. Um you know, and now he has a year under his belt. I mean, this team is only gonna get better if you you know, if they left this roster alone. Another guy yeah, I really like we're- Zach Moore. Uh, yeah. talk about small school prospects, Zach Moore out of Concordia College in Minnesota. That's another guy I like. I actually thought he might even have a, an impact on this game, and he, and he played in you know in parts. But you know, when we talk about the defensive line, there's a few guys who really stepped up. Alan Branch is a guy who I'm happy to see do well. I remember him at Michigan, and um, you know he did well in Seattle, but never really well enough to stay in one place. And the fact that they relied on him says a lot. And then you have a guy like Joe Volano. I was a big fan of him coming out of Maryland two years ago, and um, you know I, I I thought he easily could have been a high pick, and then I thought he was underrated and and he um, he ended up falling. I think I think he uh, he go undrafted. I think so. so he did. I, yeah. I think the entire team has promise all over that really hasn't been tapped yet, and I think that's why next year, just even if you kept the roster the same way. It's already better next year. Anything you could add in a draft, I think, is for depth purposes and for competition purposes because, you know, with New England, the more guys you add, the more guys it'll push. And, um, you know, you get rid of the weaker
0: length and you push forward
1: the guys who really want to be there and work hard.
0: And, of course, we haven't even talked about uh, drafting Jimmy Garoppolo this past year because I, I really feel that uh, with Tom Brady, we're looking at one, maybe two more years. Uh, so I, you got to think that they already had a, a kind of a process in mind here, that sitting two to three years to learn under him, much like Aaron Rodgers did with, with Brett Favre and Green Bay. And at that point, you, you don't have to throw him to the wolves right out of the gate. You're learning under one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and hopefully he can hit the ground running. So the Patriots are already being very innovative and, and forward-thinking, obviously, because I, I think I would not be surprised if, if Brady at some point, before the season begins, would announce – the next year is his last season. Wow. Okay.
1: You know, I, I think he'll want I think that's a good point. He'll want to repeat one more year. Um, but I bet you he has, he, I, I, he probably has one scare throughout the season where he's out a few games. Garoppolo does well. Um, he comes back and he says, you know what? It's not worth my, uh, my life to have a debilitating injury. I have a hot wife. I have a bunch of championships and MVPs <laughs> under my belt. It's, it might be time.
0: Yeah, and as I said, you're talking about a guy who makes uh between twenty to thirty million a year, you put his endorsements on top of it, and he still makes about half of what his wife makes. What a what a situation to be <laughs> in. It's uh I don't think anyone's really starving over there in the uh the Brady uh Giselle household over there. Yeah, I think so too.
1: Now that we're in draft season, next week will be will really be week one of uh of, of draft season for uh for everyone else, so Get ready, because it's going to be be draft full-on, and we're going to be talking about guys you've never heard of. It's going to be exciting. We're in the other publication for USA Today. We're going to be in their NFL draft magazine that comes out in March. Keep in mind, we're doing this in February. We're going to keep building out the draft site uh, and the podcast. We're going to try to get some people to call in on the line. We're going to do some more mailbags. We're going to really get your questions answered. And anything you want to talk about, we're here to talk about. Be
0: cognizant of the the number of sites that are going to pop up now and they, uh, what experts they are and everyone's going to turn their attention to the draft and they're just going to have one round. And, you know, we've been doing seven-round mock drafts now for – it's been a couple of months. And that was actually not that I'm going to mention a site today or someone that I know, Bleacher Report, but uh, would made a big deal about that, like, oh, we've got a seven-round mock draft and you're not going to find that anywhere. And uh, definitely made sure that uh, we set them straight. Like, uh, slow your roll there, Hoss. We've been doing that for a couple months. A couple, a couple of years, I we should say. I mean, a yeah. couple
1: years. There's a reason why on the site it says we're the original full-round mock draft site. Because when NFLDraftSite.com started in 2007, there was no seven-round mock draft. There was barely any coverage on the Internet of, of all year long. And, and that's when we said, well, why isn't there? let's do it. Let's do a seven-round mock draft all year long. We put it up. We're in the hash marks blog, and that's how, that's how we started. The next day, we had 5,000 people come to the site. We created NHLDraftSite.com, MLBDraftSite.com. We kept growing. CBS Sports wanted to build out their NFL draft section, which you probably all now know is pretty, uh, pretty dense, but it started with draft site started with well what was nfl draft site emerging to draft site they had no content and they needed they needed a mock draft for their site so they used ours they showed our first round and said for the other six rounds click here and it would take you right to our site so we uh we've had seven rounds for a lot of a lot of years and it's not going to stop and um you know we're, we're not only going to have seven rounds this year, but uh, pretty soon you're going to start to see next year's mock draft coming along. And uh, we're,
0: we don't stop. When we do that USA Today stuff, you know, one of the things we're going to be doing is that two-round mock draft for 2016. And we did that last year. And refresh my memory, who did we have as the top three last year? Did we not say Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, and Leonard Williams? That's exactly right. We had, uh, actually, we had Leonard
1: Williams at number two, and uh, Marcus Marrota at number three. We had Shalee Calhoun, who, if he had come out, might have been top ten. We had Brandon Sherp from Iowa, Vic Beasley, McKinney, Cedric Aguahee, Jalen Collins, Alex McCarthy, Doriel Green Beckham predicted he'd come out, Cameron Irvin, Jalen Strong, Andres Pete. Ifo Ikpre Alomo, Todd Gurley, uh, Rashad Green, Devonte Fields, Michael Bennett, Bryce Petty, Trade Jackson, Brett Hundley, Lael Collins, Cedric Reed, Devin Funches, Amari Cooper, Christian Covington, PJ Williams, Alex Carter, TJ Yeldon, Jordan Jenkins. And that's just the first round. We have a second round too with a lot of guys that we've been talking about. Guys like Tyler Lockett, Denzel Perryman,
0: Amir Abdullah, uh, Mario Edwards Jr., uh, Shaq Thompson. Oh yeah, about two liked- those thirty-two names are look like solid first-rounders, and then we had them pegged last year, so not our first rodeo. No sir, no sir.
1: When that comes out, we'll let you all know, so you'll check it out,
0: and uh, you'll
1: get to see our you'll get to see the seven-round mock draft for 2015 with four rounds of commentary, and then you'll see a two-round mock draft for 2016.
0: And with one round of commentary coming soon, stay tuned. Absolutely, and, and before we go, I do want to one other comment. Maybe just a little bit, a little bit off the subject. But as we're talking about football, maybe football of another kind. I do just want to give a special shout out to, today to my son, Gavin Gavin Boyer, who um, has signed his letter of intent today with the 13 ranked 13th ranked Xavier Musketeers and. Part of the, uh, uh, what they call the top 75 for, uh, for soccer, for uh, top 75 high school seniors throughout the, the country. So, very, very extremely proud of him. It's a, it's a big day for us and uh, going to a national program there. So, yeah, if it's, if it's not football of one kind, it's football of another. So, I just wanted to take a, a proud daddy moment there just for a second and just say how very impressed and proud I am with him and, you know, obviously wish him the best.
1: Congratulations, DJ. And congratulations, Gavin you're going to have a successful career at Xavier and beyond. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, and we hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl last night. We hope you enjoyed the NFL season. Get ready for draft season, because we're going to be here every step of the way. So thanks for coming, and we'll see you all next week.
0: 89 days. But in context, I would lie, time runs out of us. Then you really get excited, oh, they oh, oh, dragging me down. I wanna hold the time, Einstein runs out of us.